evidence and answers. Paul warned us in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that there would be terrible times ahead. We should expect the world to turn away from God, and as they do, there will be a rapid rise in immoral behavior and false teachings. How should Christians stand firm in these challenging times? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today on our show, we will be concluding our message entitled, Standing Firm in Challenging Times. Now, here's Pat with part two. It is the spiritually immature and the morally weak that make the best targets for false teachers and false teaching to enter in, whether they be men or women. And he says, like Janus and Jambres, who opposed Moses. This is from Jewish tradition here. These are the name of two of Pharaoh's magicians in Egypt who stood against Moses and competed against him and eventually failed. And Paul compares them to these false teachers whose influence is temporary and serious matter, but in the long run, they don't get far. Their folly will be clear to everyone. So what will characterize the end of the age is a mass turning away from God and a self-indulgent, self-worshipping, narcissistic society with false teaching that will threaten the church and many churches will compromise to this message. Just a couple days ago, my friend was telling me about his boys, all right, his, his son and his friend, who go to an elite private school here in Hawaii who has a historic Christian history. Historic Christian history. I don't think they've been Christian for nearly a century. But nevertheless, a historic Christian school. And they were sharing with their classmates why they oppose transgenderism and gay marriage in this traditional, historic, Christian, private school. They were immediately accosted by the teacher and sent right down to the principal. And they sat down in front of the principal, and the principal said, I'm appalled that you guys would be saying these kinds of things on this school campus. And the principal looked at him and said, I'm gay, and I'm living with my partner. So how dare you guys come and you speak these kinds of racist, bigoted, kind of language here in this school, this will not be tolerated. You guys better get over your racism and get over it, all right? Now, there was a time when we applauded young men and women for their moral conviction, but now right is wrong, and it's sin to speak against sinful behavior. In classical education, or in Christian education, or classical education, it was hard to become a teacher you know, because the teacher was not only the educator, but it was the person of highest moral standing. Because in classical education, the teacher is not only your educator, the teacher is your role model. And it was understood that next to the parents, it was probably the teacher that had the most influence on young men and women. So it was hard to become a teacher because we only picked the men and women of highest moral character. But today in our schools, even in our historically Christian schools, we readily hire teachers living openly in sin. And our young people now are growing up completely morally confused. And so our life application is this. We need to understand biblical values 
are often going to be in direct conflict with the values of the world, especially a culture that has turned away from God. And so the Christian and God's church must take their stand. That's the mindset you have to be in now, all right? And remain faithful to biblical teaching and the values expounded on in God's word because the situation is only going to intensify as we near the end of the age. Now, in light of difficult times ahead, how should the men and women of God respond? Well, Paul gives us three exhortations here. And the first one is to live with integrity. All right. In contrast to the false teachers, Paul exhorts Timothy. He says, you know how they are, but you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. In contrast to the false teachers, Paul says, remember my example. And Paul says here, you know, you know all about my teaching and my lifestyle. And the word know there means to intimately know. Timothy traveled with Paul. They roomed together. They suffered together. And he carefully observed and studied Paul's life. And he saw that Paul's lifestyle, his faith, his patience, his love, his endurance revealed the genuineness of his faith even in the face of persecution. And Paul's integrity was seen through his faithfulness despite all the hardships that he faced. He lived a life of integrity so that he could look at Timothy and he says, you remember my example. Let this be a guide to you as you take your stand in a world that's going to be very difficult because it is turning away from God. But remember my example. What an incredible legacy to leave behind. A life of integrity has greater impact all right, than you will ever know. The pastor J.R. Miller wrote this. He said, the only thing that walks back from the tomb with the mourners and refuses to be buried is the character of a man. This is true. What a man is survives him. It can never be buried. To live a life of integrity is to live a life no one will forget. And the impact is absolutely incredible. You know, I played baseball growing up. I must have played for over a dozen coaches. All right. Many of them were awful. (laughs) But many of them were good. Well, a few of them. The good ones I can count on one hand. But they're the ones that made the greatest impact on my life and the life of many of us who had the privilege to play for these men. And I remember Coach Dave, you know, I played for him in my freshman and sophomore year of high school. I played summer ball for him and his reputation preceded him. People knew him as a good coach. And so it was a privilege to be able to play for him. And one of the things he said is, he said, winning is not my first priority. It is not. He said, my first priority is to build quality men. All right, that's my first priority. I don't care if we win or lose. That's my first priority. 
And that's what I care about most. And all the great coaches, all right, some of them I got to meet. Some of them I got to meet the players who played for them. Joe Gibbs, Tom Landry, Tony Dungy, and others. That's what they all said. And they ended up being winners as a byproduct of the quality of men they produced. But their first priority was to create men and women of integrity because what? They were men of integrity. And you talk to their players, and that's what they say about these. These men were like a father to us, a role model, a tremendous example. I remember Coach Dave, you know, one of the things that mark a good coach is integrity. And one of the things that how it's displayed in a coach, in a leader, in a boss, in the leader of a platoon, in the leader of a business, in a teacher, is that they treat everyone fairly. They treat everyone equally. They don't play favorites here. And a lot of the coaches I played for were awful because they played favorites. If it was their friends, friends, cousins, son, he was playing. All right, I don't care if the guy behind him, you know, was Derek Tatsuno. You know, or Sid Fernandez, you're sitting on the bench because my friend's friend's niece's uncle's son is going to play, all right? Or if it was the coach's son or the coach, you know, whatever. You had all this kind of political stuff going on. It was really discouraging to see that when really good, outstanding players were ridiculed in practice and every reason was found to put them on the bench and keep them on the bench while the coach's son's nephew was treated with privilege. You know, he could do nothing wrong. It's just very discouraging. But the good coaches of integrity treated everyone fairly. Whether you were the superstar or not, if you acted in a way that was not becoming of the team standards, you sat on the bench. And if you worked hard, somehow he found a way to reward you. Somehow he did. Those were the good coaches. And I remember playing for Coach Dave, and his son was the catcher. You know, his son was all-star catcher every year. Well... There was a catcher who was better than Coach Dave's son. He was better, all right? And we're all looking at that saying, he is not going to bench his son, all right? And I went up to my buddy, the catcher, and I said, uh, you better learn how to play first base or something because you're not going to beat out the coach's son, all right? That's, you know how it works. And he said, yeah, I know. I know. Well, come the first day of the game, he announced the starting lineup. And Coach Dave's son was on the bench. It stunned all of us, all right? And his son, you know, was on the bench for the whole summer season because the other catcher was better, all right? And, of course, you know, Coach Dave's son got to play, but we all admired the coach for that because he was a man of integrity, all right? He did, what do you say? He treated all of us fairly, from the superstar to even his own son. And I remembered that model, it's impacted me ever since. I've never been able to be as good as him. You know, when I teach my students in the grad school there, or when I've been leading a church, or I've, I've tried to treat everyone equally as Coach Dave did. Now, it's hard for me to do because there's some people we connect better than others. Some people I'm more uncomfortable with, you know, but I try to follow Coach Dave's model. And interviewed Mark Benson former president of Honolulu Ford there. And I said, what is the mark of a Christian company? What makes a Christian company different from anything else? And he said, integrity. And I said, okay, how do you live that out? And he said, I treat everyone fairly. All my employees, I treat fairly. And I treat the customer fairly. They know they're getting a good, honest deal from me. We're going to be fair to everyone. Integrity. That's the power of integrity. And Paul says here, to be faithful 
to Jesus Christ and the teaching and to live a life of integrity. And so your application is this. Integrity will be your lasting legacy. So guard it, live it, never ever compromise it, whatever the cost may be. So Paul's first exhortation is to live with integrity. The second one is to endure persecution here. He says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Paul exhorts Timothy here, courageously endure persecution. He says, everyone, everyone who seeks to live a godly life will encounter persecution. If Christ did, right? Jesus said, no servant is greater than his master. If they called the master the devil, how much more? His disciples. And in the last days, if you understand the situation, it will intensify as a culture turns away from God and as evil and false teaching continue to grow. And false teaching, Paul says, is going to increase as evil men and imposters go from bad to worse. It's going to get tougher to maintain and live out your faith as the culture continues to turn away from God. I was teaching at a conference in Texas this past week, and, you know, they start at 8 a.m., which means in Hawaii, we're waking up at 3 a.m. over here. Well, earlier to get ready, all right? And I was teaching. And, of course, the big issue, transgenderism, and we're, that's one of the seminars that I had to teach. And during the Q&A time, a teacher questioned, and she said this, she said, I'm a teacher in school, and I know what the policy is. If a, if a boy comes to me and says, I'm a girl, I cannot tell them otherwise. I can't say, oh, wait a minute, okay, uh, let's try to get you comfortable with your body. We have to allow them and encourage them to start going for gender transformation. We can't speak against that. I know that, all right? But she said, as a Christian, and hearing this seminar, it's sinful it's a compromise of the truth, and it's feeding a mental illness. So I can't do that. But what am I supposed to do? I'm a teacher in a public school. This is the policy. What am I supposed to do here? And I told her, I said, you're going to have to go to the administration and say, this is where I stand. All right? And tell her why you stand on that position. And tell them that so that when this situation arrives, they are aware of what you're going to say. And she said, I'm going to lose my job. I said, that's part of the cost of following Jesus Christ, being a person of integrity, living out your faith in a fallen world that's now in open rebellion to God. And I said, you can't be so much in love with the world, with our job, with being accepted, that we are willing to compromise God's truth and the core beliefs of our convictions. All right? And I said... This is what it means to endure persecution and suffer for the cause of Christ. And I said, when you do, God is going to use you somehow. All right, you don't know what's going to happen. Perhaps courage inspires courage. And perhaps the other Christian faculty will look and say, hey, wait a minute, us too. You know, and perhaps you'll get positive change there. Perhaps parents will be awakened and say, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Wait a minute, is that what's going on in school? Wait a minute here. We want this teacher and we want people like her, you know. Or maybe you will get fired. 
all right? But perhaps that's where you're going to have to trust God. And perhaps he'll provide for your needs in other, perhaps a Christian school, Catholic school, whatever it may be. But I told her, I said, nothing good's going to happen if you compromise on God's truth, your core convictions, all right? But if you stand for Christ, somehow he's going to use it. All right? We may not get the results we expect or want, but when you live with integrity and you endure, God can use you and use that situation somehow. So our life lesson, our application is this. We cannot be so in love with this world, with our job, with our possessions, with being accepted by the world that we are willing to compromise God's truth and God's convictions. All right, we can't be so in love with this world to say, you know what, if we start preaching certain passages of the Bible, people are going to stop coming to MCC. And then we're going to have to move out of this building that we just put money in. And, and hey, we got to be so in love with eternity and with Jesus Christ to say, that's what God calls us to do. We're willing to take our stand. And the third and final exhortation, Paul says that we are to stand firm on God's word and to value God's word here. He says, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. For all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so the final exhortation is to remain faithful to God's word, to value and treasure God's word. He says, continue in the things that you have learned. And that was Paul's life of integrity and the word of God. And he says, continue in them. It means to hold, to remain faithful, to live and abide by what you've learned through Paul and the word of God. And it says here, the scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. Because this is God's word, how you respond to the scriptures determine your eternal destiny, right? And the kind of life you're going to live here upon this earth. And Paul emphasized the crucial role of the Bible in the life of every believer. He says, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture now, most commentators will say this refers only to the Old Testament. I'm going to say it also refers to the writing of the apostles. Because the apostles knew when they were writing Holy Scripture. How do we know that? Well, in 1 Timothy 5.18, Paul quotes the Gospel of Luke. And he calls Luke's Gospel Scripture. All right? He quotes Deuteronomy and he quotes Luke. And he says, Scripture says. Calls both of them Scripture. Second. Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter calls Paul's letters Holy Scripture. All right, so the apostles knew when they were writing divinely inspired words of God. All right, so when Paul says all Scripture, I'm going to say the Old Testament and teaching of the apostles here. He says they are God-breathed. The Greek word there is theopneustos. He's the very breath of God. The Bible is the source, is sourced in God and expresses the character and very truths of God. And skeptics often argue, right, Bible is a human book written by human authors. Well, they are men inspired by God's Holy Spirit. So what they wrote communicates the very inerrant, authoritative, inspired Word of God. And it's useful in all areas of life today. 
for teaching. The Bible is the source of truth and provides the right worldview, the way we interpret life and the world around us. Rebuking, to make conscious of sin in order that we may change our behavior from wrong behavior to righteous behavior. Correction, helping individuals set straight their doctrine and their worldview and their theology and their beliefs. Correcting sin to restore them eh, to righteous living. And training in righteousness, moral training and discipline to lead us into righteous living. So to sum it all up, it's good for doctrine to keep us from false belief and error. Reproof keeps us from falling into sin and dangerous in a dangerous lifestyle. Correction to keep us from failure. Training and righteousness to keep us from foolishness. Okay? So to think correctly and live righteously and wisely comes from the study and the application of God's inspired word. There are no shortcuts. Okay? It's the responsibility of every Christian to know the word of God, to interpret it properly, and to apply it to their lives. It's the responsibility of every believer in Christ. A recent survey came out from the Cultural Research Center, one of the most massive studies on worldview. And the results, once again, were very disappointing. In an age where we have so much access to the Bible and biblical tools in our culture today, only 20% of evangelicals even have a biblical worldview. In other words, 80% of the evangelical churches think just like the culture around them. Is it any wonder the compromise is so big? When it comes to mainline denominations, it's less than 10% even have a biblical worldview. And the results on the culture is this, less than 6% of Americans have a biblical worldview or hold to biblical values. That's a drop of 50% in the last 25 years. Now, we, the church, are responsible for that slide, all right? Because how can we expect our nation to have a biblical worldview and hold to biblical values when the church doesn't even have the right worldview, when the vast majority of the churches don't have the right worldview? So we're responsible for this slide. We've got to get our house in order if we want to bring America back to God and back to where she needs to be moving in the right direction. So life application is this. It's the duty of every Christian to study the Word of God diligently together as a body of believers in Christ and individually. That's our responsibility. We need to understand okay, the times that we live in and our calling now as disciples of Christ. You know, Mitsumi Ueno turned me on to Oz Guinness's book, one of my favorite authors, and he says, we stand at a very critical time in Western civilization, all right? So we need to understand the times we live in and our calling now as disciples of Christ. And remember this, all right? God's in control and the King is coming. All that we're seeing shows us we're getting near to the return of Christ. So. As we await his soon return, let us be found faithful and standing firm, living with integrity, enduring persecution, and faithful to his word.
Let's pray together. Lord, we know the challenge that lies before us, the times that are ahead. We pray for Mililani Community Church, for each person here, and all who call upon the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we would take heed of the exhortation you've given to us in 2 Timothy 3, to live with integrity, to endure suffering, and to value and live out your word. May that be true of every church that calls upon the name of Christ and true of every believer here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We've run out of time. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers radio broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or perhaps hold an apologetics conference, give him a call locally in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous support from you, our listeners, for the opportunity to donate. Once again, we'll direct you to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. And you may do so right there online. You'll find we have a wide variety of resources available to you, everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. So be sure to share our website with those around you. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. That's honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrat. Yeah.